you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Welcome to Move the Sticks, presented by AARP. And it's Bucky Brooks, but no, we don't have DJ. We have H-Town's finest, my man Lance Zerline on the other end. How you doing, Lance? Oh, welcome to the city where it just don't stop by. <laughs> man, how's everything going? It's been, look, it's been it's a good. crazy fall for you. You've had so much stuff to do. Like, I know you're busy not only hosting your radio show and doing all of that other stuff, but, man, you dig deep into the scouting profile. So I can't wait to kind of talk to you about that stuff. I also want to talk to you about the coaching and GM firing news, the potential replacements, reactions, all of that stuff, the college football playoffs. Obviously, whenever you see the college football playoffs, that means we had a chance to see some of the top prospects in the 2020 and 2021 class. And then preview Saturday's AFC wildcard matchups because you're there in H-Town and the Texans are playing the Bills. I got to get your insight on that game and also the Titans versus the Patriots. But first off, Man, let's start with some of these uh, coaching firings. I just want to get your take because, look, not only you, but your dad, everyone is in the know in the NFL. I just kind of want to go down them one by one. The New York Giants fired Pat Shermer. Were you surprised? What do you think about that Giants job in general? I actually was because that's an old school family that owns it, the Mara family. And, I, you know, typically with like the Roonies, 
the Mariners, you're, it, it's, there's a lot more consistency from a head coaching standpoint. And I didn't expect to see Pat Shermer fired after two years. I know the, the Giants, they just drafted a quarterback who I think we all said was the most pro-ready quarterback in the entire draft. I mean, mm-hmm. I, we, we all have different, uh, con, you know, different uh, concepts in terms of, of and ideas of what, his, of what his ceiling could be. But Daniel Jones really played well and really validated what the Giants did from a draft standpoint. You give Shermer a new – you got rid of Odell Beckham Jr., which you know, it might have been an issue in the, the locker room. You drafted a new quarterback. The, tor- the quarterback came out with a 2-1 to interception, a touchdown, which is very good his rookie season, there's some things to build on. You can't fix all the issues that they had in one year. So I was a little um, surprised Shermer was fired. It, it makes me wonder if if the organization believes that, you know, the, the team just doesn't build into them. And that's something, Bucky, I want to – right here at the outset, I want to I ask you this because I think you have – a really uh, interesting perspective because of your connections to the you know to both sides the player side the coach's side the personnel side it i feel like nowadays players are much more likely to not only challenge the authority but maybe start to turn off the authority and really not take the coaching in, in some instances. And we'll get to Freddie Kitchens because I think that was, that's mm. an issue over there. But I, I wonder now, I think you always have to wonder behind the scenes, hey, is this a, a team that is behind the scenes not playing for a guy? You used yeah. to never say that after one or two years, but now I start to wonder that. Well, I mean, now because it's so volatile, uh, I think it makes it very, very difficult for a coach to kind of build, like the, the catchword is culture, to kind of come in and build the culture because not only are you trying to build the culture, but you have to do it while winning games. And I think that's something that can be challenging depending on the situation that you inherit. Um, for Shermer, I, man, I, I don't think they necessarily did him any favors, right? So last year, the conversation swirled around the Giants, well, two years ago, because they bypassed, like, Sam Darnold and others to take Saquon Barkley. I actually agree with the pick because I felt like Saquon was a better player. But because they did something different, it put a lot of eyes on them. You know, they didn't have a successful season. They come back the next year. They draft a quarterback that, look, man, he may have been the most pro-ready quarterback, but because on the outside, he wasn't the buzz. He didn't have the the hot name people took them to task for taking a quarterback who actually played pretty well but he wasn't the guy that everyone saw associated with them in mock drafts and so I felt like he came in against the like up against the eight ball because his general manager did some things that uh, maybe were unconventional Uh, they didn't necessarily fit the traditional approach and so he is tasked with trying to get all of that together on the field and Look, man, the, the, the defense didn't play right. Um, you, you have people that are saying that uh, the scheme didn't match the talent. And then because Sherman doesn't come off as maybe a, a gruff uh, personality, you wonder about his leadership ability or whatever. But I think it was unfair. I do know that he's a great offensive coordinator. He had done great things in Minnesota preceding his arrival in New York. And for whatever reason, um, it didn't take – for him in terms of winning a number of games. But I don't know if you can really fairly evaluate any coach in two years or less when they're taking over a situation that appeared to be rotten from the inside anyway when he was coming in. Yeah, and I get, you know, I get going from five wins to four wins, being two and six at home. Um, But you did have one of the worst defenses in the league. I think that's something you try to work on. I just – 
uh, you know, for me, I feel like once you once you go in, if you're an offensive head coach and you go in with with drafting a quarterback that you believe is going to be your franchise quarterback, you got to give some leeway there. Unless there's extenuating circumstances where the team just really doesn't believe in a coach or you just don't believe in a coach and you feel like, wow, I think we really got this wrong, then then you got to let the guy have another year. And I and I get giant fans being upset, but as an organization, Bucky, you also know this: you got to tune out the outside noise. Who cares what mock drafts had? You know what I mean? Who cares if they thought Barkley? You don't draft running backs ahead of quarterbacks. You got to have conviction to go with what you go with. Tune out the outside noise, which is probably easier in some cities than in New York, obviously, mm-hmm. with their media. But you do have to have the conviction of process, and I, and I question whether or not the Giants have that. And with those old-school ownerships, that typically is something they, they usually err on the side of caution as opposed to aggressiveness. But, you know, maybe they have a head coach in mind that they just don't want to lose out on. And I think sometimes that's going to start playing into it as well, where they say, you know what, do we want to wait and miss out on this hot name? Or do that we believe, you know, maybe an agent's reached out to ownership or to, to organization and says, hey, this guy would be interested in this job if it came open. You know, because some of that stuff goes on behind the scenes too. So that could be part of it as well. Yeah, I do think, uh, like on the outside, obviously the public doesn't understand the influence that agents have. And so many agents have a bucket of coaches that uh, you kind of have to swim. Uh, you got to swim in their pond. And they are able to not only put the head coach in place, but the D coordinator and some of the assistants because they have all those guys uh, on the contract. They're tied to them, and they ultimately build the staff out for the organization. I think you said something that I believe uh, for everybody that is very, very vital. Um, You talked about mock drafts and the outside noise and that um, good executives, good organizations are able to tune that out. But I think what has happened in football, I think it's made it increasingly difficult for people to tune out the noise because in this industry, unlike other industries, like whether it be in baseball or even basketball, I believe that there are more people on the outside that feel like they know football from a personnel standpoint with the explosion of mock drafting and the interest that the NFL draft commands. There are a lot of people in kind of like that dark subculture that throw (laughs) these opinions out and people take them for fact. And I do believe it creates immense pressure on those that are inside. And look, you and I know a bunch of scouts, a bunch of GMs and executives, and they may not admit to it in, in public, But privately, man, they get annoyed by the conversations that go on by people in TV and radio and podcasts. And it does have the ability to, if you're not real strong in your convictions, it can seep into your thought process and impact how you do things. I think Giants' ownership has kind of bought into that. And there are a couple of different examples that we can point to. When Eli Manning was first benched, and he wasn't really benched, he was asked to come out in the second half by Ben McAdoo, and he balked at it. Well, Giants Nation, man, created a fuss and a tizzy, and ownership quickly caved in, and they tried to Eli back on the field. So that right there lets you know how ownership reacts to the public outcry so if I'm a head coach I really have to take that in because what happens if I lose public opinion does that mean ownership is automatically going to side with the public and get me out of here I just think everyone who are making these decisions these head coaching decisions interviewing 
you better make, make sure that you know what you're stepping into because if you don't understand ownership and their commitment to stability and consistency and those things, you could find yourself out of a job in a year or two despite taking over a program that was already downtrodden when you inherited it. I'll tell you, that's, I, I'll give you another one. That's a really interesting point you bring up because I just watched a video um, yesterday of John Mara at the press conference talking about the firing of Shermer and their decision to fire Shermer. And you know what he mentioned? You know what he came up came up with or what, what came up in the conversation that, that was or really his own, his own dialogue, was he was talking about Gettleman, and they were hanging on to Dave Gettleman. But one of the things that he brought up was, and we are really getting heavily into technology and analytics. Now, he didn't have to bring any of that up regarding the Shermer firing. The reason he brought that up I think is because the outside noise um, criticizing Gettleman Mm -hmm. specifically for his lack of belief. And and Gettleman's even kind of talked about it. He's mocked analytics and things like that because Gettleman has mocked it. I think there's an idea from Giants ownership that, hey, we don't want to be known as a team that's that, that, that's that's in the, the 20th century and we're not looking into technology. We're not looking into analytics. And it's not a big part. So the owner came right out and said, we're really getting deep into analytics and technology. Mm-hmm. I think that was specifically you're right because of the outside noise about Gettleman. And, and I, by the way, I agree with the outside noise on that particular um, issue. You've got to use by all means necessary try to win games and use whatever is available to you to do it. And I think sometimes, you know, Gettleman comes off as the guy who's maybe not willing to do that. And I think Mara's message was specifically related to that. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And it's funny that you talk about that part of his press conference when he talked about Gettleman and technology and analytics and kind of their their old school approach. Because the Giants have, and, and you know this from being around it and in it, the Giants do operate in a very old school manner. Mm-hmm. Those who have been on the road or been around those guys on the road get that for a while understand how they used to have the old box tests where they would take the little black box and put all the things out and touch it. And that was their way of kind of assessing your athleticism and ability. The long test that they would give you at the NFL combine, uh, the psychological testing and those things. They were a team that, I mean, I would go so far to say that they may have been the originators of drafting on traits. Size mattered to them more than anything arm length, hand size, 40 times the combination of things. They have always been a team that, even though David Gettleman talks about kind of in a dismissive standpoint with analytics, they've always been an analytical team to a degree because they did believe in the measurables more than some of the production and performance things. And so I do think they're trying to kind of get that stench off of the organization and Gettleman being a guy that is kind of gruff and old school and kind of doing it the way they used to do it in the 60s. But yeah, I think right now with all the information that is available to you, I think you have to take a mix of what you see with your eyes versus what the data tells you versus the instincts and the other stuff when it comes to evaluating players. It's a mix of things. I don't think it can be too too much of any one thing. It has to be a combination of those factors that leads you to taking the players that you take. You're right. You know, I've been an MMA fan since since the mid-90s when it first came out. Mm. I watched a lot of it and Pride and UFC and mm-hmm. all the stuff that was out there. And there was an interesting... You know, just to kind of to, to bring a, uh, a comparison here, 
different types of fighters would were, were dominant at different times until finally people figured out, okay, these wrestlers are really dominant, but they don't know how to finish. But they're, you know, grappling's the way to go. And then it was nuts, jiu-jitsu. And, and what happened was there was a, a renaissance where more and more fighters who were coming up began to cross-train. And mm-hmm. you had to know how, you had to know stand-up, you had to know grappling, you had to have submissions or defense against submissions. And I think the same thing has happened or is happening. I think we're in the process of a Bucky where when it comes to putting a team together, you and even an offense and a defense together, football in general is really cross-training now where you've got to integrate different elements of, of offensive schemes that may come from college. And you've got to be willing to look for different types of the guys who are used to used to be tweeners on, in defense are now called hybrid players. And, you know, from a front office standpoint, you're right. You've got to pull from data, from from grinding tape, old school to traits, to understanding which outliers are the most important at different positions when when maybe some of the traits are are not what you want them to be. You've got to cross train to to really build an organization well and then play winning football. Yeah, no, I, I I think that's that's really important. And you, and you you talked about like the importance of cross training and bringing all of those things into the mix. The next situation that we have to talk about has kind of delved in all of these worlds over the last five to six years. The Cleveland Browns. Oh the Cleveland gosh. Browns are a team that obviously they've done the analytic thing. They now have John Dorsey doing the old school thing. But the one thing that they don't have anymore is they don't have Freddie Kitchens as a coach. Where did it go wrong for Freddie Kitchens? I think he was he was dead man walking from the start. I don't think he ever had a chance, Bucky. I mean, once you put that many that many uh, alphas in the room together, I think you've got some of it may be, and I know I'll probably make a list here, but I think some of it is probably on Baker Mayfield. I think you know you got to wonder about how much is this of this is about the grind of being a great quarterback and how much is the commercials and the brand and all that stuff. I'm not saying Baker Mayfield doesn't want to be a great quarterback. I still think Baker can be a really good quarterback. But from the draft process where he had his own documentary series and he does all the commercials and you know what I'm saying? At some point, I think you got to I think you got to put your head down and say that will all come in time. He's got to stop making lists like Arya Stark, who wants to go and make sure that he (laughs) he you know, he's he's going to rid himself of all of his detractors. Forget your list and just go out there and get and get wins. And, you know, the fan base has turned on on Baker Mayfield. I don't obviously Odell Beckham Jr. has become an issue. You hear this about Jarvis Landry. There's no control over there. I think it starts at the top. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all going to talk about the guys on the field, but the bottom line is, I, I I really think the consistency of problems over there and and the consistent inconsistencies really start at the top of the ownership. And I think Haslam has to take a lot of that, uh, you know, a lot of that heat because. You've got a you got a building where they're leaking. Here's the the analytics side leaking articles in the middle of the year. Well, we didn't want Freddie Kitchens. You know, we wanted. I think it was uh, was the fancy. Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. That's who it was from Minnesota. They were throwing those articles. Like, where where's that leak coming from? Where's the leak coming from where the analytics department is making sure that they get out ahead of this because they don't want, you know, the Freddie Kitchens uh, mm-hmm. on their tab? Mm-hmm. I think that's a really, really – that was a bad, bad sign for me when you internally have a personnel department and Dorsey and, and his guys that maybe do it differently than the analytics department. But the analytics department was already in there, and they've got the ear of the owner. And so it's a really – I just think the construct is really screwed up over there in, in Cleveland – I don't think Freddie. I don't think Freddie had a chance because 
guys are not going to listen to Freddie. That's at the at the end of the day. I think that's unfortunate for Freddie. When you got guys out on the field, and I don't care what guy. I mean, mm-hmm. there's enough people saying, "Come and get me." If that's happening, it's a, that's a bad bad deal. And the guy that I think would make a lot of sense there is Robert Sala from from uh, the San Francisco uh, 49ers. That is a dude, man. He has got presence. He is a great defensive mind, and I think you need a guy with a big. Uh, personality and a very strong guy in the room to get things taken care of. And then secondarily, if you got a toxic room, you got to get rid of guys. I mean, you got to get rid of guys if you need to. You know, like he, he, here's the thing: what I'll say about Freddie, and I like Freddie. Um, my interactions, my interactions with him have been pretty positive. Interviewed him at the combine and stuff. I thought he had a real clear picture of how he wanted to play. I do believe uh, the job that he was tasked with is one of the hardest jobs to be able to do. Not Cleveland, but just in general, to go from being the position coach to the coordinator to the head coach slash coordinator is tough because as he's growing in each job, he's getting piled on more responsibility. So mm-hmm. as the play caller, it's tough enough to kind of manage, man, okay, I got Odell outside, I got Jarvis, I got two running backs in Chubb and Kareem Hunt, I have a quarterback, I have a tight end in David Njoku who has some talent. How do I put all of these pieces of the puzzle together and get them playing the right way? And then how do I, as the season evolves, I begin to look at my team and I'm like, ooh, Nick Chubb is really toting the rock. Nick Chubb is kind of where we should start um, building the game plan. And then Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. should be secondary with Baker Mayfield kind of doing that. And I think somewhere along the way, he got sidetracked. And I will say this about Baker Mayfield. Look, it's on record. I wasn't in love with Baker Mayfield being the number one overall pick because I didn't think he was the best player in the draft. I didn't think he had like a lot of blue qualities that we normally use as the standard for being taken at that selection. But here we are and we have him and he has a supporting cast that on paper looks like one of the best supporting casts that you can have. And I do wonder about the celebrity and the grind. Do you want to be the best quarterback in football or do you want to be the uh, biggest star in football? And I think the common denominator between the quarterbacks that really, really have long-term success, the Drew Brees, the Tom Brady's, uh, even the Aaron Rodgers, very early in their career, they were very, very quiet off the field. It was just about the work in the dark room, doing all the dirty work. And I just don't know if Baker Mayfield can commit himself to that lonely grind. It kind of reminds me of Rocky. You remember when Rocky was coming up and he's punching the meat in the in the back and he's doing all that stuff to win the title. Yep. But then after he won the title, he started wearing those nice suits and Hollywood. had the you know had the stuff. And I think Apollo Creed told him, man. It is hard to get in the ring once you start making that money. It's hard to commit to it. And I just wonder how committed to it can Baker be. And you're right. The one thing that is beginning to show up when the Cleveland fans start to turn on you. Oh, my gosh. It is problematic. And how is he going to turn that around? And ultimately, the head coach that comes in there, they got to hold everybody accountable. But it starts with number six. You know, it's funny. My dad coached for Freddie um, in in – uh, Arizona, and he got to know Freddie really well. They're they're good friends, and and 
you know, he really, really was pulling hard for Freddie. And so we, we talked about some of this. And I think Freddie is a good mind. But you're right. Usually there's a growth cycle at a position coach, at offense coordinator. You have your highs. You have your lows. You learn. You get better. You adjust. Same thing with head coach. Freddie Kitchens had just the, an, an enormous acceleration of all of those duties, as you mentioned. And then you, you, you put that together with – and it's a really intriguing team because – you have a 1,494-yard rusher in Chubb. Kareem Hunt is clearly a factor now that he's oh, on that team. Clearly man. a factor. You don't have an offensive line. That's going to take time. to You know, you got to just focus a draft on getting the offensive line taken care of. And this looks like a pretty decent offensive line draft. Definitely good t- for tackles. Better than I've seen and since I've probably been doing the, uh, the writing for NFL.com. And then... You know, two receivers at 1,000 yards. You know what you had? Baker Mayfield, 22 touchdowns, 21 interceptions. That's not good enough. But you see the potential is on tape. You see the potential on tape defensively. I think that they need one big voice, and they got to get the, 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 the organization figured out between the analytics, the coaching, and the personnel. They've got to figure out how to get on the same page because I don't know that they have – the same shared vision and that we're all in this together and we're all kumbaya. I don't get the sense that that's the case, but I feel bad for Cleveland. I really do. My dad was in, in Cleveland with Butch Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, he was on that staff that came in. Uh, they were the second staff on that team uh, with that organization after they came back. And so he was there starting in 2001. And that, I mean, I just, you know, I had my heart broken for him with that Kelly Holcomb game where he went off for mm-hmm. 400 yards in the snow against Pittsburgh, but they ended up losing. Since then, it's been an absolute disaster for the Browns. And you want for their fans who still stay loyal, you want them to have somebody who loves them and grinds and puts in the work and puts on for the city. And I just, man, it just, I have, it's hard to believe that they're in, or you, you, we used to say that about the Clippers mm-hmm. with Donald Sterling. Man, that's like the Clippers. Now it's the Browns, and I don't even know who else to compare them to. Like, that's it's the Browns are that organization in all of sports, and I feel bad for them. Yeah, I do feel bad for them, and I will say this, and uh, I am never one that says that you should turn down talent because you're going to hear some people saying, like, hey, they've done a great job of collecting talent, but they haven't built a team. I I disagree with that notion that you can't have a very talented team and win. Um, I think what you have to have is when you have a team with an Odell Beckham Jr. and a Jarvis Landry and a Nick Chubb and some of the other loud personalities that you have, the guy in the front of the room, has to be a dude. Yep. And he has to be a dude who is, is clearly respected. And because of that, I know that they're throwing out these these first-time head coaches, these guys who are coming out. You mentioned Robert Sala. I believe this has to be a job where an experienced guy who has some pelts on the wall mm-hmm. comes in because then he can come in and be like, hey, dude, I don't really care. I've done this. I've done it at a high level. I know that there is some contention some friction maybe between a Mike McCarthy and Dorsey and some of those guys in there. But the guy who would be perfect for that job in my mind would be a Mike McCarthy because not only has he won at the highest level, he's won a Super Bowl. He has a terrific record. He's coached Aaron Rodgers. So Baker Mayfield can't pipe up and say anything. (laughs) He's coached big time receivers and had a lot of production. So Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr., he knows how to get them to football. And and being from that Midwest, because he's a Western PA guy, like, look, he understands how the Browns have to be. And Lance, I'm a believer that your team has to reflect 
the city. And so you being in H-Town, I Ooh, believe yeah. the Texans and the Rockets and the Astros, they all got to have something that is very H-Town-like about them. Mm-hmm. When I look at the Browns, the Browns are the dog pound, blue collar, hard nose, rough and rugged. They have to play to that identity. And I think the head coach has to have some of that in them. We'll see how it goes down the line. Yeah, I, I do think that I do think the right head coach and then um, I think the right head coach and the right uh, mix of offensive linemen, mm-hmm. I, I think you can upgrade it fairly quickly. We saw Ballard do that in with the Colts. He did that quickly, upgraded them quickly. If you get that upgraded with that with that group of personnel, with that group of uh, skill position guys, then it just becomes about you know, one voice, one vision. So I think that's interesting. Ron Rivera being fired from the Panthers Ooh. was almost a little more, especially in season. Mm-hmm. That one shocked me, Bucky. That was one that was really surprising to me because I thought he had, he had had enough cachet built up to at least make it through the year. Yeah, but I actually think they did him a favor. I, think I they do did too him, in the they end. Did, yeah. they, did, they did him a favor in the end by letting him go because, look, David Tepper and the Carolina Panthers wanted to go in a different direction. He is very, very big on the analytical world. And, look, we, we, we've talked about that. He wants to be on the cutting edge. He's done some things on the business side that has really upgraded uh, the team and the franchise and the way they're going. They're building a new facility down in Rock Hill, South Carolina. So he's trying to take it to the next level. I think the coach that he hires is going to be a guy that kind of embraces all of that and maybe puts a product that kind of reflects that vision that he has. I think in Ron Rivera, what you had is a guy that was old school. Like, look, Ron Rivera played for the Chicago Bears. He played in the mix on the Mike Dicka. He's been around the block. He's with the Philadelphia Eagles on the Jim Johnson. Uh, Andy Reid, he, he kind of understands those things. North Turner, obviously, he was the D coordinator for him in San Diego before getting the job. He has had some success. Um, look, winning record. Four playoff appearances, three straight division titles. He has done some of those things that you like. I think with Washington, uh, now that you have Bruce Allen out of there, I think the one thing that the Washington Redskins need, they need stability. They need uh, consistency in terms of their approach and the way they go about doing things. They need someone who can hold their guys accountable. Now, I believe Ron can do all of those things. I think the big thing that will have to happen for Ron who is going to be the offensive coordinator with the young quarterback? Because the owner is fond of Dwayne Haskins. I believe Dwayne Haskins definitely has some talent. But I do believe that pairing the quarterback with the right coordinator is critical. I would say, now I don't know if he's going to bring North Turner. I would think North Turner would be great for Dwayne Haskins in terms of the way that he called plays, that vertical system and all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. But Ron Rivera has to get it right when it comes to who he hires as the OC because the young quarterback has to continue to grow and develop. Yeah, I, I think that's critical. I mean, we know this. Anytime that you draft a quarterback in the first round, your job as a head coach depends on development of that quarterback. And even though Ron Rivera is being hired beyond when when Haskins was first drafted, Haskins is still his responsibility, the, the growth and development. We know Ron is a – you know, is is, is a defensive-minded guy, so finding the right mm-hmm. mix. And, and I agree with you. We, Haskins is a pocket passer who's got a chance to push the ball. The best thing to do, Terry McLaren was a great addition for them. Mm-hmm. What, a, what a great season he had this year. Even though you may have missed on Josh Doxson, you got it right with McLaren. And I think continuing to, you know, fit the pieces defensively, 
Um, find maybe an, a healthier tight end that you can really rely upon. There's a kid out of out of uh, a Florida Atlantic named Harrison Bryant. Ooh, that really that's my dude. Like. That's, oh, that's that's my dude. dude. Now. That's, that's a my dude. dude. Oh, if you watched him. him against Ohio State, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's it's my dude. It's not too I big like for him. him at all. Yeah, I like so him a lot. That's yeah. the kind of guy I like because he can he can block for you. He can help in the run game. He's a dude. as a pass catcher. He's a great athlete. Go give him a safety blanket at corner. I mean, at tight end, mm-hmm. go find another wide receiver, bolster that that core, add an offensive lineman, and get better on defense. But you're right, all that's fine and good, but you got to have the right signal caller back there for him. You got to have the right um, play caller. Rather. Yeah, I think I think the right play caller, and also um, because it's been done before, what he did with Carolina. Like if you look at how Carolina won, they won with a young quarterback with a dominant running game and a stellar defense. I think yeah. you build it the same way in Washington. Look, I'm a believer. The Washington Redskins in their heyday with Joe Gibbs, where they were winning three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks, the thing that was always um, the common denominator. Dominant run game behind. Yeah. The offensive line, the Hogs, you can run the football, and then they play great defense. I think that is how you build it in Washington with Dwayne Haskins as a pocket passer. Look, I want a stud running back. I want a big, beefy offensive line where we mash people, and then I'm going to let those – pass rushers hunt and i'm thinking look i got montez sweat i got an older ryan kerrigan uh i'm picking second so i can take chase young man i rebuild that defense and we get it rocking and rolling in the nation's capital bucky what do you think about this now more than ever quarterbacks are groomed to a to be a certain type of quarterback from the time they're very very young from quarterback camps Mm -hmm. to the opening to the elite opening the elite whatever all the elite names are. you do yeah. all that stuff i don't yeah. know i mean mm-hmm. but you know what i'm talking about you got this quarterback camp that could the manning passing academy steve clarkson george whitfield you got seven on sevens here in texas it's huge the seven on sevens as, as well as in california and and then you have systems that quarterbacks get into you okay. ask less of them from a mental standpoint because a lot of the adjustments are made on the sidelines but they're very good at, at some things that quarterbacks weren't as good at in the past. I think they're more accurate in terms of uh, some of the ways that, that they throw the ball and their understandings of understanding of how to throw the deep ball and, and, and touch that needs to be, you know, that needs to be used. And I think there are some quarterbacks that do a very good job of reading safeties and making decisions on combo routes, even if they're not really classic full field readers. But now more than ever, I don't think quarterbacks can change their stripes. I think Mm-mm. nowadays a quarterback is who he's going to be once he gets into the league. Now, they're obviously going to grow and get better and, and change some, but I feel like you absolutely must build offenses, except for a few rare exceptions. I think you absolutely must build the offense, including the play caller and really the concept of what you're going to do philosophically around who the quarterback is, what his strengths and weaknesses are. And you you do not say, well, this is the kind of offense we run Mm-mm. and we need him to get better at doing this and this and this. Because you know what? You're going to find yourself out of a job if that's what you think you're going to do. You've got to match it to your quarterback. You absolutely have to match it. And that was kind of like a nice jumping point to the AFC Wildcard weekend because right there in your city, yep. in the town, you got the Buffalo Bills coming in to take on the Houston Texans. And you have two quarterbacks, Josh Allen and Deshaun Watson, where you could say that the offensive coordinators have done a great job of matching the system to the player. When you look at that matchup, what do you see particularly with the quarterbacks? Well, I mean, you know, for for Deshaun, Deshaun is still a work in progress, and I think some of it, he's got a very unique, Buck, I'm going to talk about something now that no one talks about down here, and it's not talked about nationally. 
And that's I do think Bill O'Brien's done a very good job of creating an offense and, a, and an identity and a philosophy around what Deshaun Watson does well. I think he's done a good job of that. I think for the most part he's been a pretty good play caller, not a great game manager, and I don't think he should be GM. But I think as a play caller um, and, and building an offense around Deshaun's strengths, I think he's done a pretty good job. The strange thing about Watson is he can look dominant for stretches, and then he'll have a game that looks like a regression game where you think, what in the world happened here? We saw it against Denver. We saw it against the Baltimore Ravens. We saw it against the Carolina Panthers this year. He just will randomly throw in a game, and you see it in the first two series where he's holding onto the ball forever, and he just can't get into rhythm. And once he starts that way, he usually finishes that way. But a big problem for him has been that Will Fuller, they can't keep him healthy. And that dude is so important because when he's – and you know this, Bucky. When you have a field stretcher like that – you can't play games with the safeties. You you can't be a game player. You got to just make sure that you stay deeper than the deepest. When you have a guy with that kind of speed and game breaking ability, it helps the running game out. It helps the quarterback out. It's going to help DeAndre Hopkins out. And yes, you you got a chance to get a chunk play if they get a little frisky with, with running single high. You got a chance to to do some damage down the deep sideline. And I think. Um, Will Fuller's injury history has been a big problem with Deshaun getting into rhythm offensively. I'm going to give you another one that's not talked about. DeAndre Hopkins does not practice a lot. He is a veteran who has some bumps and bruises. Behind the scenes, he's not a big practicer. He's Mm. not going to practice a whole lot. Kenny Stills, same thing. Bumps, bruises, veteran, doesn't practice a whole lot. Will Fuller, always hurt. So you got a quarterback in Deshaun Watson whose three primary targets, he can't get them on the practice field very often together at one time. I mean, I think it's tough on a young quarterback to develop that synergy and develop the rhythm with three different targets as one collective group, especially when you have you know, some revolving door issues going on at right tackle right now as well. So I think, and then you got Bill O'Brien doing his GM stuff and personnel stuff, mm-hmm. and you got a different offensive coordinator. And I've heard this behind the scenes from someone tight in the building who um, was someone tight with, 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 uh, with, I don't want to give away too much, but let's just say this. Bill O'Brien is coming in late to the process to, Mm. to, to handle the offensive stuff. The install is primarily done without him. And then he'll come in and make some changes and alterations to game plan. Like on, on a Friday or Saturday. Oh, that's, 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 that's no late. good. Yeah, that's too late. That's no that's good. So I, I wanted to put that yeah. out there because I want to. I want Deshaun. I don't think it's optimal for Deshaun Watson right now, and that's a problem. He can handle it. He can still thrive, but when people look at him, they need to understand that some of the things that are standard with other NFL teams, he's dealing with some unique issues. Yeah, because he's winning in spite of. And I think yeah, I think it's interesting. Look, I love their. Uh, three-headed monster wide receiver when will fuller's there you talk about stretching the field deandre hop deandre hopkins when i talk to defense coordinators they say he's an absolute dog like you just oh, can't deal with him he in one-on-one situation he does it and then they got the perfect guy kenny Stills, who wears people out in the slot or outside so i like the pieces around him when i look at the buffalo bills what i will say is man and it was hard for me looking at josh allen as a prospect because man it was like wow and whoa like, you see some wild throws, yep. and then you see mud throws, you'd be like, whoa, why is he making that throw? But I will say the Buffalo Bills um, have done a really, really good job. Brian Dayball has done a great job of putting him in a situation where he can play to his strengths. And where he is right now, the strengths are the athleticism and the pure arm talent, meaning his athleticism as a runner, as a scrambler, creates 
added dimensions and big plays. His arm talent allow, uh, enables him to throw the ball over the top of the defense. Uh, we've seen John Brown emerge as a thousand-yard c- receiver for the Buffalo Bills. We've seen Cole Beasley be a critical factor in their third down package when they spread it out, go empty, and they allow him to do his thing. The Buffalo Bills are problematic for the Houston Texans, not only because of their offense, but Sean McDermott and Leslie Frazier have done a terrific job with this defense. Yep. This is a game that if I'm a Texans fan, I'm a little worried about because the Buffalo Bills basically play defense to make you crack. They're waiting for you to make the big mistake. And if you make that big mistake, Josh Allen is just good enough to make enough plays. I think this is a game where Deshaun Watson has to kind of toe the line between being a playmaker and a game manager. And as you said, the first quarter will tell us a lot about what he's going to do and how he's going to do it. Yeah, and you know, I I haven't watched the the pro tape to tell you if there's a, a common theme about what defensive coordinators are doing to, to get him out of his rhythm early on. I can tell you this. I completely agree with you about Buffalo. Buffalo is one of those teams that wants to stay close to you in the fourth quarter and then just try to overtake you um, at the end. But you can also boat race them from the standpoint of you can get out in front of them as long as you are steady, you don't turn the ball over. If you can get out in front early, that's a big key. But, but Buck, the Texans are one of the worst teams in the league in the first, first, in the first quarter. They're one mm-hmm. of the worst. And when that happens, the the home crowd has no juice. Like right now, the the home crowd, the Texans fans are kind of a cynical bunch right now anyway because they've seen this story time and time again, and it always ends the same way with, you know, with, with failure. And they're already – they need something to get excited about. If you get off to a poor start mm-hmm. or if Buffalo scores early, that energy is going to be zapped from the building – and they got a problem. They need to score early. They need to script some plays that get them rolling and gets Deshaun into a rhythm. Carlos Hyde is going to have to be a dude, which is tough against the Buffalo Bills. And then I think most importantly is they've got to get on the board first so that the building has some energy. I think it will help having J.J. Watt even playing because that's really going to get people hyped, and that's a good thing for them. No, it is a very, very good thing. Let's go to the other matchup right quick. The Tennessee Titans go to New England to take on the Patriots. Uh, Obviously, we didn't expect the Patriots to be playing uh, wildcard weekend. They blow a game against the Miami Dolphins. So from your vantage point, um, what do you think about the Patriots? Do you think this is the end of the dynasty? Is it over? Yeah, it's over, and and you've seen cracks when – Rob Gronkowski hasn't been there in the past. Tom Brady has really struggled. And eventually Gronk would make it back and we'd say, oh, there it is, premature on Brady again. Gronk's not there a whole year, and and Brady looks like he's fallen completely off a cliff. I mean, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. You got Stephon Gilmore. He got done up by Devontae Parker in the last game and has, has not been quite as good recently. You aren't dominating teams with your rushing attack right now. I don't see – this is a big sample size. There really is no reason to believe that they can default into some kind of flip-the-switch Patriots team. I don't see it. I don't see it with Tom Brady. I don't see it with the Patriots. Now, you know, they got a real big battering ram in Derrick Henry that can cause mm. some major, major mm, damage. Mm, mm. He does some damage to the to the body of that vehicle when he sideswipes you. So, yeah. you know, make sure that you got a good body guy that, that, can, <laughs> For that sure. can work those, dimps, those dents out of the uh, – out of the, the, the side panel. But um, the story here to me is either the downfall of Tom Brady or the second coming of Ryan Tannehill. And I think that's a, 
I think Tannehill, along with, you know, I go back to Vinny Testaverde, Rich Gannon. This isn't the first time we've seen guys have a resurgence or renaissance in their career. I think after they flame out the first time around, there's something that fundamentally changes with some of these guys where they say, you know what, I I ain't going out like that again. If I get another shot, I'm going to do me and I'm going to let it all hang out. And that's what it feels like with Tannehill right now. Yeah, it absolutely feels like that. And I give him a ton. I give actually I give the Titans a ton of credit for what they were able to do with him. Arthur Smith, uh, first time. Uh, offensive coordinator has done a terrific job. Like when they put Ryan Tannehill in the lineup, the offense has taken off. And one of the guys that has been chiefly responsible for that is not only Derrick Henry, but man, AJ Brown AJ's been a killer. has been a killer. And you know, like, here's the thing. Like, I feel like AJ paid for the sins of Ole Miss receivers in the past. The, La- <laughs> the, La- the Laquan trip will flame out kind of right. prevented me from falling in love with AJ Brown because I'm like, man, I kind of seen this before. Like, Big body playmaker, doesn't have a lot of juice, catches a ton of balls. He's terrific in that vein, but is he going to be able to separate? And, man, all this guy has done is made a ton of big plays. And the work that he has been given wide receivers on the perimeter has been a problem. And, look, I know people have kind of fallen in love with the, the novelty that Stephon Gilmore is the best cornerback in football. But if you looked at him the last two or three weeks, people have spun him around like tops. The, the speed receivers have given him problems. A.J. Brown isn't a speed receiver, but if Stephon Gilmore isn't on his game, A.J. Brown is going to work it. You know, I tell you, I'm looking at my overview of, of what I had on A.J., and I just said, I just call him slot bully with a rare combination of brawn and quickness, allows him to separate with both power and foot quickness. Uh, he has size and demeanor to take on a heavy workload as a safety blanket for a young quarterback in a ball control passing attack. He'll see an upgrade, an athlete across from him, but he has the feet and body control to uncover and create windows as a premium route runner. And and, and while this isn't a a, typically a classically young quarterback in Ryan Mm -hmm. Tannehill, this is he is new to this resurgence. And I think A.J. Brown, as that safety blanket, has been a big has made such has made such an impact on not only Tannehill, but also we're starting to see with Corey Davis a little bit, too, here. I, I tell you, Tennessee, to me, is a live dog. Mm-hmm. There's not it's they're not a great offensive team right now in New England. You've got a bully on the ground, you've got a bully in the slot, mm-hmm. and you've got a quarterback that is mobile and can do some damage with his legs. I think Tennessee is a live dog in this situation, and I give them a real shot uh of of upsetting the Patriots if they can get Derrick Henry downhill and into a rhythm. Yeah, you gotta feed them. Feed them. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all about it's all about getting downhill. It's all about getting them to play the game the right way. I, th- I think when you look at this matchup, the reason is kind of the worst matchup for the Patriots. Mike Vrabel isn't as scared of the mystique. And I've been calling the Patriots this all year. They're old Mike Tyson. They're not Mike Tyson that ran in and knocked uh, <laughs> Michael Spinks Damn, out in 91 seconds. On. They are Mike Tyson that's hanging in the corner against Lennox Lewis and Evander Holyfield. You look over there and you see Iron Mike, but if you can just withstand the opening round or two, you can I, knock him out. I think this is a game where the Titans have to play the game quarter to quarter, meaning if they can just get out of the first quarter close, get out of halftime close, I think they can knock the Patriots out in the second half because the magic number to me is 24. If you can put 24 points on the Patriots, I just don't see a scenario where they can score more than 24 points God, that's crazy. Playing, consi- playing the traditional way. I can't believe that we say that now, but that's the truth. That's where we are. I mean, this, isn't a, this is a big sample size. It's an entire season, and that's what it's been. Nah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Real quick, because we got a few minutes left, I want to fast forward to next Monday night, the championship game. Um, 
Look, we got two quarterbacks that are, I will say, maybe the future of the National Football League. Regardless of what people may think about Joe Burrow, some people absolutely love him. Some people are kind of cool on him. I'm more in that camp. I'm kind of wondering if he's a one-hit wonder. Can he do it again? And then you have Trevor Lawrence, who I think by most admissions, people are saying he's a transcendent player. When you look at this matchup, LSU-Clemson, what do you see? Well, I mean, you start with the quarterbacks. You've got one guy who I think plays to his system extraordinarily well and plays to his strengths extraordinarily well, and that's and that's Joe Burrow. And you do start to balance out, okay, well, how much of this is Justin Jefferson? How much of this is Chase? How much of this is Thaddeus Moss? How much of this is that Joe Moore award-winning offensive line? But, you know, I got to tell you, Buck, I, I wrote Joe I wrote Joe Burrow last summer, this, this last summer. I watched mm-hmm. the tape. Mm-hmm. I was doing some quarterbacks. I wrote my notes. I'm like – Sixth, seventh at best. At right. Best. That's, right. I mean, and that's what his right. tape was. And then I went, and I in the midpoint, and so early in the season, I just wouldn't buy in. Nope, nope. And I went to the Texas game. I'm like, wait a minute, Joe Burrow didn't do this last year. I saw him stand in and make a and dime, dimed it 27 yards down the field on a zero blitz, and I was like, what? That was not. I didn't see this on tape. And then as he kept going, I kept waiting for him to crash. I kept waiting, and then. Three quarters through the year, I reached over to a friend of mine who's who's in that building, and I said, hey, did I miss on Joe? Because I didn't see arm talent, and I still don't think he has a big arm, but whatever. I didn't see this. He didn't throw with accuracy on the run. He was a little late to do this. He was smart. You could see he could process and this, that, and the other. And the guy told me, he said, you're absolutely not wrong. What you said on tape was right last year. He said he went into the lab. He developed – mentally as a quarterback his confidence developed he said he kept working on his game he said Lance this is just a case of the kids just continuing to develop and he happened to develop faster because he found the perfect offense to help you know help him do what he does best mentally which is play chess and make reads and throw accurately with Trevor Lawrence you can put him in damn near any offense he's one of the rare exceptions Mm -hmm. Bucky that we were talking about earlier when when I say okay well then you need to build an offense around Trevor Lawrence well I don't you can build whatever you want around him because it does not matter to me. And all the tank for Tua talk that we had before the year started, Trevor Lawrence is reminding you, well, y'all had two years of tanking that you needed to do to get get me because, you know, more than likely because he was the prize this whole time. Like Mm. Trevor Lawrence, size, speed, toughness, mental makeup, Trevor Lawrence has it all. Joe Burrow, we've never – I talked to a GM the other day. He just can't buy into Joe Burrow. He just it's can't. hard, man. He it's said, hard. how can I just forget last year? I said, I get it. And we've never – you don't have any – can you remember this in any sport ever, Bucky? The, like, only, the, the only person I can compare it to is the rise that Baker Mayfield had. What about Jeremy Lin? What about Lin Sanity? Yeah, like, Out of nowhere. A little, a little bit. Yeah, Lin Sanity is, is very, is very, very – Close and comparable. Um, this game is going to be one that's terrific because here, here's what I will say about Joe Burrow. And Joe Burrow and this offense does look like Drew Brees. But remember, Drew Brees was the 32nd pick when he First came out. First pick of the second round. First pick of the second round. 33rd. Kind of grew into it. And Drew Brees. Oh, no, 32nd, yeah. Yeah, Drew Brees didn't really become Drew Brees until he got with Sean Payton. So when I look at Joe Burrow and I look at this game and I don't know if this game is going to be the game that kind of maybe brings him back to earth because I don't know if Clemson is as good as they were. They're not as good as they were up front last year. They will bring pressure, but Joe Burrow kind of gets the ball out of his hands very, very quickly. 
I just wonder as we look at this game and then we go ahead to next year, hey, look, Zach Taylor, you're you're the head coach of the Cincinnati Bengals. But if you ain't Joe Brady, can you replicate <laughs> what this is ha- what's happening in LSU? I don't know. This game is going to be terrific, though. I am leaning towards the Clemson Tigers just because Clemson has kind of like that been there, done that feel. And if LSU doesn't knock them out early, if you let Clemson hang around, they'll figure out a way to win it. Well, I've just been playing a role of Silky Johnson all year, the, the, the player hater of the year on, uh, <laughs> on Clemson all year long, just like, well, you know, they don't have Wilkins and they don't yeah. have this guy. They don't yeah. have Farrell. And I keep telling you, they don't look the same in the jerseys. It's not the same squad. I'm telling you. It's not. And, it's then, not. They, and, then, they, and then they beat Ohio State in a phenomenal game. Um, I just feel like two things, Bucky. This is why I like LSU. I have to believe what I've seen over and over and over again with this offense. Joe Burrow, whether whether you believe in him as an NFL talent or not, it's clear that he knows how to wreck you For sure. with this offense and with these and with the players that he's throwing at you. The second thing is, I think the rise of of Chase on and the defense of of LSU has to be considered because they were a team that was not very good defensively earlier in the year. Over the last three or four games, it's like a completely different squad. They have really grown up and gotten healthy and figured things out. And I think more than anything, we'll talk about Burrow, we'll talk about Trevor Lawrence, but I think that the LSU defense is really the key here because if they keep playing the way that they've been playing recently, it's going to be really, really difficult for Clemson uh, to get it going offensively to the level that I think they'll have to against LSU's passing attack. Yeah, man, I I think this is going to be a terrific game. It's going to be fun to watch. I think, uh, shoot, man, if I were going to take the over-under, I would say 80, (laughs) which is ridiculous (laughs) to say, because I don't know how many stops we'll see in this game, but it'd be a terrific one to watch, and it'd be one that we reference uh, in the spring when we started doing Path to the Draft. Lance, man, that was that was fun, man. It was great. Uh, it was great to talk to you. We didn't get a chance to get to some of those college prospects, but I know one thing is for sure: you and I will be talking about it. We'll talk about it soon on the Mood Sticks podcast. I appreciate you filling in for DJ uh, this th- uh, today on the podcast. Um, it was great. Enjoyed it. Have fun. Look forward to it again. Hey, man. That's it, guys. That's the end of the Mood Six podcast. Make sure you download the Mood Six podcast at Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Make sure you check out all of our videos at NFL.com slash MTS video or at our new channel on YouTube, YouTube.com slash NFL podcast. Thanks for listening to Mood Sticks presented by AARP. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. 
If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Zero Foxtrot isn't just a brand. It's a way of life. Founded and operated by veterans, Zero Foxtrot's unique apparel and gear echoes the grit of the warrior culture. Zero Foxtrot dedicates itself to producing content, honoring the sacrifices of forgotten heroes of the past, and connecting history to the present. Embark on a journey with Zero Foxtrot today at ZeroFoxtrot.com. It's not merely our products. It's about the ethos that we embody. Rugged, resilient, and timeless.